Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. Jay Jones, and I'm here with George Mays for a Text Driven Tuesday. Good morning. Good morning. If you're new listening, or maybe you've been listening for a while, can always give us uh, some help by like, subscribing, or sharing the podcast with your friends and family. would encourage you to do that to help us to reach more people with the podcast. So how's it going? It's good. You're back in the saddle again. I'm back. You play that song? I'm back. You play that song? No. No, I did not. How about Back in Black? No. No? No. Okay. You're disappointing me. <laughs> You're disappointing Sorry. me this morning, George. Sorry. George is back I hear preaching that a lot. in Hebrews. <clears throat> so we're back in Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, you want to grab that and go to Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. And This uh, is it. We're on the... This is the final stretch. This is it. Yep. Five more to go. The, can see the uh, finish line. Five more to go. You're going to finish... When are you going to finish? December, first week of December? First Sunday in December. Yeah. Then I guess I'll... Uh, I don't know. Will it be a sad time for you? Retire? Will be a sad time for you, won't it? Do I have enough saved up to retire after after this day? I don't know. You Maybe. <laughs> Hebrews is George's favorite book in the Bible. <coughs> what does one do when he finishes his favorite book in the Bible, George? You just know. You know, like, I just preached expositionally through the whole book of Hebrews, and when am I going to do it again? Well, I, <laughs> that's right. When am I going to do this again? It's well, I was, I was telling you last week that... I was listening to um, a Greek scholar, David Allen Black, and he's written a book that, on the. That, you, does he have a country album? Is that, <laughs> I don't know. that is a very that sounds like a country singer. <clears throat> um, he he has a book on the uh, the authorship of of Hebrews, mm-hmm. where he uh, where he argues for uh, Paul. Okay, as the as the um, not not maybe the person who actually wrote it, but the author. Right, right, and we we uh, we can distinguish what's the, that. Uh, what's the word for that? Amanuensis. Um Let's call it a fancy secretary. So he asked, you know, he he asked his uh, his his fancy secretary, his class, his first Greek class, I guess, who wrote the Book of Romans, uh-huh. and they all say Paul, right? And he says Paul did not write the Book of Romans. Because it's he had a fancy secretary, he had a fancy, had a fancy secretary. Yeah. yeah, he he had he had someone who actually wrote it down. Yeah, and so he says we don't necessarily know who wrote Hebrews down, but he argues that it's Paul who's the author. Uh-huh. And uh, I was telling you last week, I, he I listened to a podcast with him, and I I think I'm convinced. Okay, I think I'm convinced. So I think I. I feel like I need to preach the book over how, again. <laughs> so how would knowing that, if it were true, and you found out like with irrefutable evidence that Paul wrote Hebrews, how would that influence your interpretation? Well, or, I, or would it at all? I, I mean, it's not going to really um, change the interpretation of the book because the book says what the book says. Yeah. But I think that doing more maybe systematic theology it would it would uh it would change a little bit of of that because if you're looking at like uh like Paul's theology of of ministry yeah like we're going to see on Sunday he he talks about remember your leaders mm-hmm. who, who spoke the word of god to you um well you're you're now going to include that in with Paul's theology of of like pastoral ministry right you're going to include some of this stuff in with that, uh-huh. whereas 
Hebrews has has generally in modern times been moved to like the general epistles. Mm-hmm. And so here's the theology of the general epistles. Now Hebrews is going to be brought into Pauline theology. Yeah. So I learned when I learned in a seminary and kind of the backgrounds of the New Testament era was whenever things would be written and transported, like they didn't start with, you know, the author's name. So the author's name would be included if it was on a tag. Mm-hmm. So this parchment's being shared, there's a tag. And over time, the tags all fell off, obviously. Mm. There's something attached onto it. Yeah. And so then you don't you don't have that recorded anymore. Like it's lost the time. So what you then have is what what did the early church say about who mm-hmm. are the authors? And right. we pretty much have that nailed down for all of them except for Hebrews is kind of one. And Hebrews really, if you look, um I think the only other name that is given as a possibility is Barnabas. Uh-huh. I think he's the only other name that's given. And the majority say it's it's Paul. So Paul wrote 14 letters. Why don't we meet in the middle and say, Paul dictated it to Barnabas? Hey, I can go with that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. We just solved it. Right um, obviously, we're, we're, I mean, we're getting to the end, and uh, we'll get to the final greetings uh, at the end of chapter 13. And um, the recipients knew who it was. Mm-hmm. Whoever it was, they knew who it was. Um, so it wasn't... It wasn't anonymous, and um, the early church does lean pretty heavily towards it being Paul. They're closer to the source, so mm-hmm. they, they would know better. Yeah, um, almost like historic premillennialism. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Sorry, I couldn't resist, Giorgio. Could not resist. Let's get back on track. <laughs> they knew... Um, who was writing to them? Yes, and uh, so the uh, origin has a quote that is used most often to say, "Well, we just we just don't know who yeah. who wrote Hebrews." And um, uh, Origen wrote, "Only God knows who wrote the Book of Hebrews." Mm-hmm. And David Allen Black he uh, he um, examines that and he says that. It's a it's a phrase that would refer to the person who actually wrote the book, and then he went to Origen and uh, and to Origen's writings, and he saw all the times that Origen references Hebrews, and almost every time he references Hebrews as written by Paul. Huh. And so he's not talking about we don't know who the author was. He's talking about we don't know who the fancy secretary yeah was who right. actually wrote it down yeah um which was interesting mm-hmm. so i don't know i'm 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 more and more persuaded that it's it's paul yeah and as you read it i mean the theology is it's very much pauline right um so <clears throat> these secretaries had some amazing skills oh, in yeah. writing because yeah. they would throw it away if they messed up mm. and they start over yeah <laughs> Talk about the like focus and precision. Being able to but, write stuff down as it's being dictated to you. Yeah. I would never be a fancy secretary. Mm. No one would be able to read it after I got done That's writing true. it. That's true. That's true. I'd be like, what do you mean? It's right there. And they'd be like, we can't. Like, what is that? Is that, is that like a sixth grader? Did they write that? 
<laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't fall into that category. Yeah, probably like artists. I could imagine them with their precision mm-hmm. writing. Yeah, yeah. It is all. It's all very interesting. So you started us off. <coughs> you garnered our attention I with. Hope, I tried to. John Piper. John Piper quote. John Piper blew the internet up one day. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. And and he, do you think that Piper is even on the internet? You know, do you, I, I mean, he. So this is this was a tweet. Yeah. We're still calling them tweets, even though Twitter has been changed to X. What are you supposed to call them? I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it. I don't think that name was thought through very know. well by yeah. Elon. rebranding. That's yeah. a marketing fail, maybe. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah. He uh, he tweeted this. Uh, I think it was October first. I think it was October first. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was, he, he started the month. He said, "Let's reform worship." Uh huh. Yeah. Reformation month. Let's reform worship. Yeah. Let's get let's coffee. Just bur- let's just burn the whole thing down. Yeah. <laughs> so he came. Uh, he came after the coffee lovers. Uh huh. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And uh, he, yeah, uh, he tweeted, "Can we reassess whether Sunday coffee sipping in the sanctuary fits?" I mean, it's it's a good drink, and I mean, you, cream soda is a heavenly drink, so that would mm. that one would say yes. Okay. I would say yes. Okay, coffee is pretty close, but you know we can have this discussion about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know as well as I do the the dumpster fire that is Christian Twitter, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, <laughs> People so, have strong know, opinions. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Strong opinions about coffee on on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it was it was a mess. Got some good memes out of it though. I should yeah. have, I should have brought in some of those memes this morning. There there were some pretty good ones. So this whole pre- premise kind of is like, are you can you really offer <coughs> reverent worship to God if you're like sipping on sipping coffee? on coffee? Yeah, I will confess that I have been perturbed to see that as some people are caught up in rapturous worship mm. in the congregation, mm. to see others not and sipping coffee. While singing is going on, yeah. Um, so I can see Piper's point. Um, like, if you're in the middle of of singing, uh-huh. if you don't need the coffee, like if you're not like having a, a coughing fit, right? <laughs> maybe just put it down <laughs> while right, we're right. while we're in the middle of singing uh-huh. uh, because we're we're worshiping, right? Um, so I, I can see his I can see his point. Uh-huh. Like maybe there's if you're leaving the church service to go get a refill. Like maybe maybe rethink yeah like your motives I, I'm I, so but on the you know on the other having said that on the other hand I don't, I don't think it's wrong to have a drink in the in the service mm-hmm. um, I mean I I typically bring something especially when I preach I've yeah. got to have something some I mean, water I, I, some water up there stand by uh, water I had I had tea yesterday in a mug for your throat uh, yeah because I was holding in a cough the entire time I was preaching, and I was worried that I was going to uh, have a coughing fit. So I got to have something. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm not faulting anyone for having something to drink. I don't think it matters. Well, with maybe a caveat, <laughs> I don't think it matters what you're drinking um, during the service. Mm. I know I'm giving you <laughs> giving people some ideas, uh, but um, maybe if it's you're like treating. The worship service, like a concert yeah. or a picnic, huh. maybe rethink your beverage. Right. Yeah. Um, 
The same with, uh, I would say the same with like bringing a snack. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's a sin mm-hmm. if you uh, have something that you're, man, I, I imagine that while Jesus was teaching, very often people would be sitting around eating and listening. Yeah. Uh, but if you're, you know, if the pastor is in the middle of preaching and you're like opening a cellophane wrapper, mm. maybe, maybe you bring something different. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I see, I see Piper's, Piper's side of it. Uh, though I, I think uh, with Piper and it's a, it's a tweet also, I mean, you're not going to get a whole lot of nuance with, right. uh, with a tweet. Uh, but with Piper, he, he can often push a little bit further maybe than I think he ought to. But maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point of the, that, the maybe tweet is, is just to get yeah. a conversation going and people, right. people to be thinking about uh, how they're treating the worship service. Though I did see a, a meme that said that uh, pastors, what your church needs is not uh, stronger coffee. It's for you to be a better preacher. And that, uh, you know, sure. that's, that stings a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need the coffee or to maybe, keep them awake. They or need, maybe they don't need preach their for an hour. Oh, yeah. Well, you and I are both guilty. Oh, of I know it. The last sermon in Jonah I really thought would be short. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be 45 minutes. Mm. Not my finest hour, because it went over an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was an hour and one minute yesterday. Yeah. So, but uh, what what caught my eye, the reason why I, I used that is, is that after he asked that question, he cited Hebrews chapter 12, yeah. verse 28, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Uh-huh. And so he's, he's essentially saying, is drinking coffee in the worship service offering to God acceptable worship or service is probably a better, right. better translation, acceptable service to God with reverence and awe. And then you use that to transition to your sermon. You yeah, because we're is... we're in chapter thirteen. Right, uh, we're two verses removed. Uh, there's twenty nine verses in chapter twelve, so we're we're right there. Um, and the question is: Is the author of Hebrews writing about drinking coffee in the worship service when he writes that? <laughs> Obviously, he's he's not. But I think that a lot of people they can they can. Uh, see this verse, and I, I think that uh, Piper took the verse out of context. Um, and people can be thinking, well, this is we need to, in the worship service, have reverence and awe for God, which is true. But is this verse about the worship service? And I would again say no. I think that we can come to Sunday morning worship and we can have. Um, reverence for God in our worship and our singing and our prayers and listening to the sermon, and then we can we can leave and we can still be disobedient to this verse. Um, and so we want to understand what is this, what is acceptable worship to God? And my answer is it's chapter thirteen. Yes, yeah, and so there's more. Right. It's it's maybe his was he's trying to make a modern <laughs> application. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it was a good opener because you introduced us um, to what we're going to be talking about in the rest of Hebrews, and that's yeah. Well, we're, that's we're an application we're, of yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. We we get to chapter thirteen, especially after a you know five week break, uh-huh. and then we've got these artificial chapter divisions and section headings that have been put in by 
not the biblical author that will uh, kind of separate these arguments and we don't often see where these these things fit together. Uh-huh. So if you if you read chapter 13, we'll read it in just a second. It's like a complete change in subject and tone. Well, yeah, I mean it, it it doesn't it doesn't flow. He he says for our God is a consuming fire. That's that's verse 29 of chapter 12. And then he says let brotherly love continue. Right. And I was like okay, that's that's a shift. It's such a it's such a shift that um, some more liberal scholars have actually said this is not the same author, right? Like this is this is a tag on, yeah. And I I was going to include this in the sermon. It's in my notes, but I just didn't have time. And I I, was, I thought oh, this would be more podcast okay uh, material than uh, than Sunday morning sermon material. It's uh, it's funny because some of the uh, some of these reasons or or the reasoning um sound like conspiracy theories which i know you're a big conspiracy theory guy yeah so I, mean, I, was, I thought i thought they were uh yeah like there's there's various theories and again this is this is more liberal more liberal scholars um like to say well this chapter 13 doesn't really fit with the rest of the book and so they think well that someone else had to have written this uh, some think that um, maybe someone trying to mimic the Apostle Paul wrote chapter 13 in an effort to gain more um, acceptance. So the book is anonymous, and uh, this person trying to make sure that it has proper authority, it gets circulated among the churches, tries to mimic Paul's um, style uh-huh. in chapter 13 with how he ends his books. And so we've got, um, I don't know, kind of a, um, I don't know, fake letter, fake Pauline letter being huh. circulated. Um, some say, well, 13 sounds like Paul because it is written by Paul, but it was part of some other lost Paul letter and somehow this got stuck onto the end of Hebrews. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very strange. Like, okay. I mean, the, uh, the efforts that, uh, that go into concocting these, these theories instead of just reading the book as the, the product of one author is, is kind of funny. Yeah. It's like, uh, this end of some other letter got detached from that letter, and somehow it got like somebody wrote know, a pay, PhD like, on pay, this, like pasted to the end of Hebrews chapter twelve, and it uh, it just started being circulated and and copied. Somebody uh, wrote a PhD on this with no historical <coughs> evidence. For it, I'm yeah. sure. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's bizarre, but there really is no reason to uh, to say that thirteen doesn't fit with the entire book. Um. Leon Morris, who is a conservative scholar, he says there's no linguistic difference, and while the argument is not so tight, it is in the manner of the author. So he says it's the argument's not as um, it's not as connected, but it's still the same style. Yeah. But I would go a step further, and I would say that this chapter actually is the logical conclusion to everything that the author has said in in one through twelve. So instead of saying that it's the same style and same tone 
and language as uh, the author of 1 through 12, I would say that the argument is actually um, really tight. Right, so you're, you're arguing then that 13 is how do we offer yeah, it's, it's, a life of reverent worship. Yeah, it's, it is the necessary conclusion to the theology. Right. And, and that's, the, that's, that's what we see in all of the, uh, the New Testament epistles. Mm-hmm. This is a shorter, I, I think we, we kind of um, lose sight of that in Hebrews because we've got 12 chapters of theology and just one chapter of uh-huh. application. Uh, whereas you've got like the book of Hebrew or uh, Ephesians, where the first three chapters are theology and the last three are application. Right. But it's the same. It's the same idea. Uh-huh. Like the theology is front loaded, mm-hmm. but now based on the theology, how are you supposed to live? Right. That's what's going on in chapter thirteen. He front loads this letter. With, well, really, it's it's uh, it's it's really a, a sermon. Well, maybe you know, maybe this is the secretary, fancy secretary's fault. Yeah, maybe <laughs> because in Romans we have something similar, mm-hmm. and it's clear in chapter twelve we're moving now to application. Mm. But there's a phrase I appeal to you, therefore. Mm. So I mean, what if you put a, I appeal to you? There's just therefore, not a tra- there's just not a transition. There's let brotherly transition love continue. <laughs> you know, I'm just yeah. having I'm just having some fun. Yeah, but no, you, I think you're the right. Le- the I think language you're right with, there there are key words found in these the six verses we looked at that that keep drawing us back to things that that were written before and yeah. um, it's not quite as clear in the English but but just studying it in the Greek you see how he uses some of the same language to draw us back to the rest of the book and so it the really the point is theology without application is just it's dead Right, like it's it's um, it, you're filling your head with all this information, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have any effect on your life. Right. Um. So Hebrews thirteen is there to say, okay, you you believe everything that one through twelve says. Now you show it by the way that you live. Uh huh. Yeah. So we, uh, your thesis statement, or another term for preachers, is your plural noun proposition statement. So we're. You know, on uh, Sunday nights, there's some guys trying to learn how to study the Bible and to teach class, or maybe even one day to preach a sermon. And so, one of the things <clears> that they learned was uh, you should have a proposition statement in your introduction. And so, yours was this six loves for Christian living in a hostile culture. And that should correspond with the text. So, if you have your Bible and you're going through, you're going to be able to see those which is also a component of an expositional sermon, is that the points of your sermon should be the points that are clearly discernible in the text to the everyday reader. Uh, this is something that we hold to very dearly as people who have benefited from the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Right? We're in Reformation Month, and this is a component of who we are. This is part of our tradition. Our tradition is sola scriptura, so sermons, they're points should come from the text of Scripture, and people should be able to see in their own Bibles, which they have in their laps, because people actually bled and died, so you could have a Bible, that what the preacher says should be what God says, and that's it. Um, So i got a question for you before we start. Sure. Is it true, George, that the only reason you are preaching Hebrews verse by verse is because you're lazy? (laughs) Huh? Is it? No. <laughs> uh, remember, uh, I wonder <clears throat> if I could show this. I bet I could. 
I bet I could show this real quick. I showed it to the guys last night. Um, I, somehow I have 13 mutual friends with this person. No, no idea how, but I do. Yeah. Ted Kim. Okay. And he says, George, and you ought to take offense. Can we throw this on the screen? He says, what I notice about expository preachers is that their main and only reason for saying what they say is because the text says so, which is weak and insufficient. And then he goes on to say, expository preaching can be a, laser pre- a lazy preacher's excuse for saying what they say because today's text happens to be this passage. So, George, is it true, I'm, cro- I'm, exa- I'm cross-examining you, yeah. that you're just a lazy preacher, and so all six of these points... They're really just that. That's right. I'm just being lazy. Well, it's like uh, it's like <laughs> that, it's like that quote from Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley, you remember that that quote from Andy Stanley? Yeah, I do. Uh, guys that preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, that is just cheating. <laughs> it's cheating because that would be easy. <laughs> it's too easy. That's why I never do it. That's um, what I say about dunking, George. That's why I don't dunk. It's not because I can't. It's because it's, it's, it's too, too easy. easy. It's too easy to do it. Yeah. So I just move on. Well, I, I mean, I you you hear quotes like that as an expository preacher, and you think, "Where's the easy? Where's the easy part coming from?" Right. Um, it's not. It's not easy. No. I. I wasn't creative. I wasn't creative with these points. Um, I, I think that, I, I, and again, I, it's not because I'm trying to be lazy. It's because I want the points. I don't want the, I want the, the I want the people in the pews to be able to see the points. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to make the points so convoluted that they're like, hey, <laughs> right. <laughs> like I want them to, I want them to see it. And, um. So verses uh, verses one through nineteen really are the the ethical um, exhortations, mm-hmm. and so we're going to look at them in uh, in four parts. Okay, because it's I mean, there's there's so much there. There's too many. I mean, even as I was one. even as I was preaching these six verses, I was like, man, I could have split this up even. Um, and and I think that um, you've got six are six or more of kind of like these general these general exhortations. Then seven through sixteen are going to be kind of theological, and then um, seventeen through nineteen are going to be more I don't know, ecclesiastical, okay, uh, re- related like to how you live in the like with your leaders, yeah. with your pastors. Um, and then you got the benediction. You got the final greetings. Um, these six verses, though, they all had a, a theme that tied them all together. As I was looking through it, as I was studying, uh, I I saw there is this common theme. It's love. It's all about love. Um, and so that's that's what I that's what I went with with my six points. Uh, six loves. Love six, is love. Six verses. Six loves. Hmm. No, no. Is that not true? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> No, um, that's th- these uh, six might contradict that. Parti- yeah, partic- particular. Yeah, especially the fourth one. Right. Pr- uh, you know, particular ways that the church is called to love in 
this hostile culture, this this uh, this climate where they're being persecuted. What what kind of people are they supposed to be? They're supposed to be people that um, that show love, and, and which is really interesting because Jesus. In Matthew chapter 24, when he's talking about persecution that will arise, he says, because of these tribulations, the love of many will grow cold. Uh-huh. Like He warns that love is actually going to be one of the first things that goes. Right. And so what's the, what's the thing that the author of Hebrews really mm-hmm. hammers home? Love. The hostile culture. It's like, Jody, you're on deployment. It will steal your love away. Mm. You don't want that to happen. That's right. Right, you you want to be able to live your life offering your life as a sacrifice mm-hmm. of reverent worship. So you need to pursue these six loves. Right. So let's have you read the text. Okay. All right. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me? Awesome. All right, we'll jump in right away. The first love that we must pursue as Christians living in a hostile culture is to love the brethren. You like that old word? The, love brethren. the brethren. Love the brothers. Yeah. Love the brotherhood. Yep. So Let's. this is just for the guys or what? That's right. Yeah, just for the guys. Ladies can check out. All right, so it says, "Let brotherly love continue." <laughs> no, that's I mean, it. that's it. Well, that's, I mean, that's, it's that's your the, preaching point. One. I mean, that's that's interesting that you bring that up, but it's um, it is a catch-all for brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, the ESV goes out of its way to like show that everywhere that it says brothers, it always there's always a footnote that says, "Well, this could mean brothers and sisters." Um, right. But I think that even more importantly is that the the apostles direct their teachings to the men. Like I don't, I don't think we should be ashamed about that, um, because the men have the responsibility to lead their families, right? Right. Um, and so I, I, I don't think that let brotherly love continue means well the women don't have to show love right. toward, towards the brethren, but I, I do think that it there is a, an important um, point to to address that. The apostolic witness is directed towards the men. Right. You brought up several verses in support of this. Um, you mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, you've, you've got this major section. It's all about love and how all things will eventually pass away, but love endures forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, love... I mean, yeah, we, we... I mean, there's there are... I, I have... Um, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, uh, twelve, at least twelve right. uh passages that we could look at yeah. where we're we are urged over and over and over again to love the believers. Yeah. So one of the ones you brought up was John thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um when she says a new command I give to you to love one another as I have loved you, you are to love one another. 
by this all people will know you are my disciples. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen that used in our culture as an indictment against Christians as to why people don't accept Christianity, mm-hmm. right? And you bring up, we bring up the love is love thing, right? Right. Love right. is love is love. Mm-hmm. People love, and so you you as a Christian should be affirming of everyone mm-hmm. in every situation. And the reason that people aren't drawn to Christianity is because you don't even obey Jesus. Right. You don't love everybody in such a way that they would be drawn to Christ. Right. But <clears throat> as we've pointed out, I believe before this teaching what Jesus gives is that the love between Christians right. would be so different from mm-hmm. the rest of the world that the world will be drawn to that. Yeah. Uh, so it's not about Christian love for everyone universally. It's actually about the Christian's love for other Christians. And this, this in the context of the book, again, this, these they're general, but they're, they are a part of this book. They, they just flow out of the teaching. And so when he says, let brotherly love Philadelphia, um, when when we are t- to let Philadelphia uh, continue, um, we've already seen throughout the book, especially in chapter two, how Christ is our older brother, mm-hmm. and he's bringing many sons to glory, um, and we're his we're his we're his brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, believers are family, yeah, and we belong to one another. So this is this is language of unity within the church. So this verse is not. Um, let universal brotherhood of of all mankind let let that love continue. It's let love in the church continue. Uh, controversial verse uh, along those lines. Galatians chapter six verse ten. Hmm. Um, Paul says, "So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith." Yeah, like who are we supposed to love? Right. Well. We're supposed to love everyone, but we're supposed to especially love believers. Yeah, right. Um, and so, where where should that love be demonstrated? It should be demonstrated in the church. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to love the people in the church, you're not going to love the people out in the community anyway. Right. Like if you if you can't love those that you have the most reason to love, like we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ has redeemed us out of the world, and we are now a new humanity. We're a new community. Uh, if you can't love the the Christian who's sitting next to you in the pew, you're telling me that you're going to love the the unbeliever out in the world? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty far fetched, right? And so there's a uh, and, th- and this fits in with you know if you're facing persecution in a hostile world, I mean you. You need to stick together. There needs right. to be a special support that mm-hmm. you have for each other, special care and love, even a sharing of you know your finances and resources yeah. with other Christians, so that they can you know if they maybe they've lost their family, mm-hmm. and so you show them love like you would as if they were your own flesh and blood, right? And you take care of them, and and so this is one of the means that we have to help us to persevere. That if the whole world has forsaken me, and I've lost it. I've lost everything to follow Christ. Well, there's still this group of community where right. I do have <clears throat> I have everything that I need. Yeah, you you uh, you have converted to Christianity, and now you're kicked out of the synagogue. Uh, your family disowns you. Um, you're not worshiping the pagan gods, so you can't be a part of a guild. And so you're you've lost your business. Um, you, you're losing everything. You're you are. 
you're not just on the fringes of society. You're like an outcast. We have each other, mm-hmm. right? Where we are together in this. There, there's a new community that is made up of the people of God. Yes. And that's uh, that's uh, that's communicated in places like um, Ephesians chapter 2, right? Once, once we were not a people, but now we are a people. Mm-hmm. Um, even though... Where we're cast out by the unbelieving world, um, we've come together in Christ and we form a new, a new people, a new nation. Right? Yeah. Um, but the uh, the 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 pressures of persecution could lead you to um, isolate, right? And separate. I mean, separate from the church. Like people know that you go here, and so you just don't go anymore well that's 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 not showing brotherly love that's not letting brotherly love continue mm-hmm. um i mean the, you you want to obey this i think the the very base line is be at the church like meet with the with the congregation like you can't you can't let brotherly love continue if you're never around other christians yeah yeah that's right that's interesting the, the word the word um continue is the word translated as remain up in chapter 12. So God is God is going to shake the heavens and the earth and those that the things that are shaken are going to pass away and the things that are unshakable will remain. Let love, let brotherly love remain. Yeah. All right, and then the uh, so the second love that we should pursue in a hostile culture is the love of the stranger. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the this word <clears throat> that we have here to show love for strangers is hospitality. Yeah. Oh, it's it's literally the word stranger love. love. Stranger love, yeah. Love yeah. of love of the stranger. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um so how might this differ from modern ideas of hospitality culturally? Well, the, the hospitality that he's talking about here um, in the, the first century is you've got traveling believers, um, and inns were expensive, and they were pretty shady places. They, they were not really uh, the kind of place that you wanted to frequent. This is like the Wild West. This is like the Wild West. Yeah. You yeah. know, you see the scene where you go into you know the inn in the Wild West, and mm-hmm. everybody's playing poker. and Right. There's everybody's Bar drinking. There's yeah. and there's prostitutes everywhere. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, fights are breaking out. Yeah, that's your hotel. That's the not, ends. Yeah, not not really a place that a believer would want to spend the night, right? Especially if uh, you know if someone found out that you were a believer. Yeah, that that's going to add another le- another layer of of danger right. to it. Um, so these believers they they um, they depended on the the hospitality of other believers. Uh, you can see this throughout the book of Acts. Um, Acts chapter 10, Peter's at the house of Simon the Tanner. He's he's staying there. That's not his house. That's that's Simon's house. So he's Simon is is uh is hosting him. Um, Paul goes to um, Philippi and and there's uh Lydia, mm-hmm. right? And Lydia's converted and she invites them to her home. Stay at my house. 
Uh, and you, you see this over and over and over again. Like whenever they go to a new city, they are hosted by somebody, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that, that's what's going on here. Like itinerant preachers would need to be um, hosted by somebody wherever they went. Mm-hmm. So uh, third, third John, uh, the apostle John, he actually um, praises probably uh, the elder of the church, Gaius, for showing hospitality to these itinerant preachers who have um, given up everything for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it's good for you to host these people, to show hospitality to them and send them on their way with whatever they need. Mm. Um, so that's uh, that's what's going on. Uh, showing hospitality is one of the um, it's one of the requirements for an overseer in First Timothy chapter three. Uh, interesting um, in First Timothy also, where uh, Paul's giving instructions for the church to support widows. Mm-hmm. Um, they're enrolled. They're, there's a list of widows that the church is supporting. They are they can be enrolled if they've shown hospitality. Huh. Um, so that was an interesting yeah. um, qualification there. Uh, I think that hospitality might have also included taking in um, these wives and children of other believers that have been thrown in the prison. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, we're talking about the first century where uh, the, the wife can't just go out and get a job. right? If the husband is incapacitated in some way, then the family is going to be left destitute, right? Uh, if they're if they are uh, in prison for being a Christian, what happens to their family? Mm. Well, the church should show hospitality, yeah, right, and, yeah. and bring them in. Um, but this this is a this is a dangerous practice. This is a risky practice for Christians because uh, if the apostles are are instructing the churches to show hospitality and Paul and Peter and John, all three of them are urging the the Christians to show hospitality. This would have been very attractive for false teachers Uh Um, because some things never change. (laughs) The false teachers today are all about getting money. Yeah. Uh, False teachers back then would have been all about getting money too. Mm -hmm. And so um, these false teachers would have, been traveling around looking for free room and board. So what are you supposed to do with that? And uh, imagine if you've invited someone into your home, they, they are a traveling preacher and they come to your church and they, um, they need a place to stay and you host them and it turns out that they're, I don't know, an Aryan. <laughs> you might feel a little burned by that. Like they're they're just trying to, uh, you know they they stay, they stay for a month. You've I mean there's financial pressure there, because hospitality is not just here's a bed, but here we'll provide all of your needs. Right. And uh, so it's it's risky to do that. It, it also would be risky because you don't know if this person is a an informant. Mm-hmm. This person could be a spy. Uh, you you host a church in your home. You welcome you welcome the stranger into your home, and they turn out to be a, a spy for the government, and well now your whole you put the whole church in danger. Mm-hmm. So in this hostile, risky 
um, environment, it would be really easy for the churches to just isolate. Right. And we don't know you. We don't want anything to do with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, the apostles tell the churches to show hospitality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you had a good quote there from F.S. Bruce. Let's see if you could could read that. Um, yeah. Uh, Those who are given to hospitality find that such happy experiences far outweigh the unhappy ones. Right. Yeah. I like that. That was, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. So they may be burned by a false brother, but the, the promise is that, and we'll talk about this entertaining angels. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's what Bruce is, is getting at is that he, he's, he's saying that the, the happy experiences will, will far outweigh the unhappy ones if you show hospitality. Yeah. So let's talk about that. That little phrase there, a little surprising phrase. <clears throat> Some people could have uh, entertained angels unawares. So, how? That comes. That's the first question that comes to mind. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, he's he's thoroughly steeped in in Old Testament. Um, uh, we saw that in chapter eleven, right? So he's probably thinking about people like uh, Gideon. You know, the angel of the Lord shows up, and and uh, Gideon doesn't know who he is for a moment. Samson's parents, uh-huh. um, but I mean, the, the the most famous one is Abraham, right? In Genesis chapter eighteen, three men come to Abraham, and uh, he shows hospitality. He makes a makes a meal for them, mm-hmm. and um, it turns out that one of them is God. And there's two angels, so uh, that's probably uh, that's probably the story that's probably the most most likely to be on the the readers' minds. But right. um, I think that the one that is the most impactful for this context is the angels going to Lot. Um, you've got the angels, they leave Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 and they go to, to Sodom and they're, they're just going to stay out in the, they're just going to stay out in the courtyard, right. right? In the city, the city square for the night. Yeah. And Lot urges them, <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah. don't stay out in the, it's dangerous. in the city square. Um, it, think about this. He doesn't know that they're angels. Right. He doesn't know who they are. Um, they're, they are strangers. And they could be. I mean, he he knows what kind of area he's living in. Right. Peter says that um, his his soul was was constantly plagued by the wickedness that he saw. He doesn't know who these people are. They could be robbers. They could be murderers. They could be just like the right men of Sodom. Right. Yeah. What does he do? Um, in this wicked climate, what does he do? Does he turn a blind eye? Does he hope that someone else will come along and and uh, you know take them in? Does he just pretend like ah they'll be fine? I'm sure they'll be fine out in the in the city square and just ignore uh, <laughs> what could happen. He takes them in. Uh-huh. He takes he takes these these two uh, these two strangers in and shows them hospitality because he's a righteous man. 
Um, so he takes them in and, and shows them hospitality. It turns out that they're angels. Right. And they end up saving him and his, his family. It is interesting to think about that, that it includes this here. Uh, I think it brings up at least the possibility that there are angels that you don't know are angels that look like humans that you may interact with at some time in your life. Yeah, um, I don't think that he's necessarily promising that if you show hospitality, you're going to be entertaining divine beings um, because the word angel is the same word for messenger. Uh-huh. So you, you might find that you're you're entertaining true messengers of God yeah. unawares. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that it's impossible for him to be saying, yeah. well, you, you might actually be uh, hosting a, an angel. Yeah. Um, whatever that, you know, would look like. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting to think about, though. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I met an angel one time. You think you met an angel one time? Yeah. She had blonde hair and blue eyes. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and we ended up getting married. So I saw that say, I saw that coming, but I coming. but I had I was I was uh, it was impossible for me to yeah, stop. I seems just, I seems I entertain an angel awares. Her name is Angela. Is it a coincidence? Is it a conspiracy? Could be. What does that mean about our kids, though, George? Are they Nephilim? I don't want to. I don't want to <coughs> think. I want to think about that. Yeah. No. I, it is an interesting scenario. You know, I there are people. Who have been in like? <laughs> did I derail you too much? Too much? See that right there, George? That's marriage tips. <laughs> marriage tips. Yeah, you always got to look for opportunities to compliment your wife. For the young guys, young newly marrieds. Um, but there are people who have had these strange interactions that, uh, like people who have gotten car wrecks in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And trapped in a vehicle, a man will come along, comfort them, and even like bring them out of the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, all the EMTs arrive and the person just disappears. I don't know who it was. Yeah. So, that's, you know, we should keep in mind that we do live in a supernatural universe. Right. Maybe you've interacted before with, maybe it's part of God's way of uh, testing. Testing you to, you know, who knows what it could be. Right. But yeah, I just find it a very interesting verse because it yeah, comes it out is. of nowhere. Yeah. Right. You know? Um, yeah, it is. It is an interesting verse. I, I mean, it, again, it's, it's, uh, it's tied into the context of the book that they're, they're in this probably, they're probably in Rome. That, that's probably who the, the book is written to. Um, it's debated, but it's they're they're they've experienced persecution in the past. They're starting to experience persecution again. It's starting to ramp up, and he's telling them, "You want to offer acceptable service to God? One of the ways is to show hospitality. Don't uh, don't become you know this isolated church. Mm-hmm. Um, care for the care for uh, strangers that are claiming to be believers." Yeah, like someone shows up to your church on the Lord's Day, and that you don't know who they are, but they claim that they're a believer and they're traveling from here to there. Like, open your home to them, show hospitality to them, 
you don't like, you don't know you like you don't know if this is you don't know if it's a, a true believer you don't know if it's uh, a government spy he doesn't he doesn't give these caveats yeah instead could, he says it could be an angel what if it's an angel auditor what if it's, what if it's an angel that's, that's he's auditing your church yeah, maybe. For, I, mean, I, I mean you don't know you don't know now this this was a hard one for me to say all right how do we how do we um kind of cross the cultural um gap Mm-hmm. Because our our society is not the same. Now, uh, I was talking to uh, to Julia, and she said there there are there are we we know a, a church that shows hospitality to like traveling missionaries mm-hmm. that the missionaries coming through they'll open their home or right. or whatever and show hospitality to them. So it's it's we can still do things like that. We probably don't experience that as much because we have five elders, and so we don't we don't have like itinerant preachers coming through here very often uh but if we were to host like a missionary or something we could we could show hospitality um, yeah, especially if they're going to have a longer stay right yeah yeah um but um how do we show hospitality <laughs> you know in our in our context and um i i think i think that one of the ways we can do it is um showing hospitality to our guests that come on Sunday mornings. Like we they're like there are strangers. Mm-hmm. They come. We don't know who these people are. Are we just going to like give them the side eye and go back to our our own conversations with the people that we know? Or are we going to reach out and show hospitality and, and make them feel welcome? Right. Um that that's one way that we should show hospitality. And I, I, we've got some we've got some people in our church that are <laughs> just fantastic at showing hospitality to uh mm-hmm. to visitors yeah um i struggle with that i struggle with meeting new people yeah some people are definitely they have a gift mm-hmm. a gift for this type yeah. of thing yeah we tried to uh recently we've laid like an elder gauntlet out there yeah you know what i mean so all uh, church ends all the elders will leave mm-hmm. go to the back and so hopefully a new person can escape. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a With, fine line between hospitality and yeah. hostage hostage situations. Hostage situation, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully there'll be, you know, uh someone from the church will be able to talk to everybody before they leave. Doesn't mm-hmm. always happen. Doesn't always work out that way, but right. Uh, at least we're giving it a, a good effort. Mm-hmm. But I think that even beyond the four walls, we can show hospitality by being someone that's just hospitable to strangers. Like we we we've both known people that have been in the church for decades, mm-hmm. and they're like the grumpiest person that you've ever met. Like that's not that's not showing hospitality. Yeah, like to be this unapproachable person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a stranger's not going to come up to you and talk to you because. <laughs> you may bite their head off, right? You know, be uh, be a an, a welcoming person. Like, yeah. don't be a grump. Don't be a grumpy, isolated Christian. Yeah, be, so, be someone that is approachable and be someone that is willing to approach others. Yeah, yeah. And that that's going to be a struggle for some people, where it's going to be super easy for others. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's more of a struggle for me. I have a hard time just reaching out to to people. I, it takes an effort for me to do it, and there's other people like Phineas, <laughs> my my nine year old. He's like supernatural to go out and uh, talk to people. Um, but just because it's not your strength doesn't mean that. Well, I don't have to. I don't mm-hmm. have to, you know, follow this verse. I can 
that's right. not that's not my gift like still make an effort to um to, to just be kind and and warm towards people right yeah that's good so. very good so the next love that you have is love for the persecuted uh and he mentions here people that are in prison mm-hmm. um and you can see again how these kind of are are fitting with the whole book people that are under pressure to lead the faith uh, many of them will be thrown into jail. Yeah, as part of the tactic against Christianity. Mm-hmm. Well, so, this is this is one of those verses that can easily be taken out of context and used for why we should just visit prisons. Right. That that, uh, that again. That's not to say like prison ministries are good. Um, I I think that I think that that people that go to the prisons and minister to to people in prison are doing uh doing well but this this verse in the context of the book is not a proof text for prison ministry in general it's for believers who have been thrown into prison we know that because back in chapter 10 verse 34 he's already talked about in the past you you uh, showed compassion for those who were thrown into prison these are people that have been thrown in the prison for their faith yeah 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 the old the i remember when i first learned it was such a um, like a shift when you realize that many of the letters of our Bible are written from prison, and these prisons are not like our prisons. So you get thrown into a prison then or jail, yeah. like they're just going to hold you. You're just being yeah, held. You're, you're thrown into a dungeon. Yeah. So even you know if you if you're going to get food or clothing or even clean drinking water, mm. somebody's got to bring it to you, mm. or you're just going to waste away. Right. And hopefully you have a quick trial date, or you're going to die yeah, in prison. Yeah, die in prison. Though. Starvation and yeah, well, they don't they don't care. Thirst. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not it's not innocent until proven guilty. They're going to treat you like you're guilty. Yeah. And and so there is if you <coughs> if you bring. And support that person, mm-hmm. then you are associated with them, or whatever crime they're associated oh, yeah. with. Then, yeah. then people will associate you with that. Yeah, I mean, this guy's in prison for being a Christian, and these people keep bringing him food. They're they're probably Christians too. Maybe we should follow them and mm-hmm. see where they're where they all gather. Right. Like it's yeah, it's dangerous. Uh-huh. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And there's shame involved with it. Also, I mean, if you're um, if you are a um, Christian business person, someone who has means, mm-hmm. you're going to be ostracized because you're associating with prisoners. Mm. Like you're probably not going to be invited to all the, you know, the get-togethers, <laughs> all the parties. Yeah. Um. So you're you're going to and there's going to be loss of business for you also probably business yeah. and prestige. Um because you're associating with people that are in prison. Yeah. So it's it 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 would be it be a it'd be a dangerous thing for you to do. Right. Yeah. Um but he tells them again, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Mm. Um and he says those who are mistreated, uh which is a word that that ties us back up to the end of chapter 11 with with these uh these believers who live by faith and they're mistreated. Um, and then he says, "Since you are also, since also, uh, since you also are in the body, and um, this is where I think your authorship is going to influence how you interpret it a little bit, 
um, most of the modern translations that I read said that he's he's talking about you you also have a physical body and so you you can imagine what it would be like to be mistreated physically. Mm, that's not how I read that. And then I look at Calvin and Gill and Matthew Henry and they all say um it could be that but it's probably more likely the mystical body of the church. Right. And if it's Pauline, that is almost exclusively how Paul talks, right? You're in the body. Right. He's talking about you're also in the church. Uh-huh. So those members of the church that are thrown in the prison, um, remember them as if you're in prison also because you belong to each other because you're in the you're in the church. And we have instructions from Paul uh, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Mm-hmm. So uh, remember those who are in prison because they're they're part of the body. Uh, if they're being mistreated, this is anyone else who's suffering for being a Christian, regardless of whether they're in prison or not, whether they've lost, uh, you know. Uh, they've they've been kicked out of their family, or they're being uh, publicly humiliated, or what whatever it might look like. Um, remember them also, since they're part of you. You're you're part of the body. It's it's really weird. Um, the the modern commentators saying, well, this this is talking about how you you can imagine what it would be like to like you're in like you're in the body. It's it's just a weird it's just a weird interpretation. It is, yeah. I I t- I take it as uh, he's talking about you. You also belong to the church. Yeah. Well, a lot of modern commentators, you know, they. Well, I, I was well, I was wondering. I, I was like, okay, it's it's like all the modern commentators. Uh-huh. I was like, I wonder what Calvin says. Right. And and then Calvin gives, I think, a better explanation, well, uh, <laughs> one that fits in with the rest of I think New Testament theology. Well, people that aren't modern scholars, right? They they really hold to the analogy of faith. They use scripture inter- to interpret scripture. Mm-hmm. That's their primary means of interpreting. <clears throat> if they want to understand a phrase that they don't understand, the first thing they're going to ask is how is this phrase used elsewhere in the Bible? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing they're going to ask. Yeah. Rather than maybe do what a modern interpreter would do, which is isolate the book of Hebrews in a va- like pretend it's in a vacuum. Yeah. And try to understand Hebrews only within Hebrews itself, and that's it. Um, well, it's just it's just such an it's just such a weird it's just such a weird way of of saying that like you also are in the body. That's, I mean, what I, I I read that before I consulted any commentaries, and I and I interpreted it as the body of Christ, you know, the body of Christ. Right. Then I read all these commentators, and I'm like. That's so weird. One commentator, I can't remember who it was. They quoted an older, um, an older commentator, who said that that uh, while while plausible the interpretation that it's the church, um, it's uh, utterly impossible or something. And I was, and then they just drop it like they didn't give any reason why. And I looked at the I looked at the uh, the Greek, and there's there's not really any reason why it it couldn't be the church, yeah. Especially how how Paul uses that that phrase yeah. um, in his letters. So I, I I I disagree with the the modern commentators. I'll, I'll side with Calvin on this one. Yeah. All right. So love of the bre- brethren, love of strangers, love of the persecuted. Now the fourth is the love of marriage. 
And the text says, verse 4, let marriage be held in high honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge us sexually immoral and adulterous. So let marriage be held in high honor. Seems it's got an elevated, uh, elevated uh, this state is a, this among... Is, this is an interesting verse because the there's not an imperative in the Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, honor is just um, an adjective, and it just says honor uh, marriage. Mm. But the honor is not, it's not a verb, it's, it's an adjective. Mm. So it's like honorable marriage. And that's the that's the phrase. So the the imperative has to be implied. Let let marriage be held in honor. So the very first word in the verse is honor. Um, and this is a word that is used of something that is highly prized or valuable. It's it's used in the Septuagint for precious stones. So let marriage be like these the, like a treasure. Yeah. Um. It's interesting. I was talking to uh, I was talking to my wife yesterday, and she was she was mentioning how, and she's on a lot a lot of uh, like reformed Facebook pages, so she she may see this more than I do. But she said that often it, it seems like um, singleness has been elevated above marriage. You see a, a lot of young single Christians who hold off on getting married so that they can. I don't know, have, have like freedom, right. Pursue careers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that's necessarily what this verse is, is getting at, but it is interesting to see how singleness seems to keep getting elevated in our culture. Right? Marriage is not held in, in high honor in our culture. Mm-hmm. And it seems like just kind of, small little ways that seems to be creeping into the church. Mm-hmm. Like I tell people all the time, like get married young. Yeah. Like get married, have kids. Don't wait. Don't wait until you're like in your thirties, late thirties to get married. Like get married young. Right. Um, I know you, you've, you've talked about that with your own kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you, ma- if you get married young, you really, your, your uh, identities are formed. You're forming who you really are. You know, but probably between the time you leave your home, go to college, and you're 25. You know, by the time you're 25, 26, you kind of have an identity locked in there, right? Mm-hmm. But if you get married before that, you're becoming an adult with someone else, mm-hmm. and so then your identities really are formed together. Yeah, you don't have these two like radically independent people right. who are now trying to come together. Mm-hmm. And to become one together, yeah. Um, and of course, you know, in Jesus's time, people would have gotten married young, right? They would have. There's just like there's just artificial reasons to not get married. Like get married, right? Like what are you looking for? People you're lo- you're looking list. you're looking for the this mystical the one. Yeah, like you you've been influenced by the culture to think that there's like this special somebody that's just going to meet all of your needs they're just going to be prince charming or they're they're just going to be the the most amazing woman that's ever existed like look for a christian uh-huh. that you can stand and who can stand you <laughs> and get married yeah and then just love each other as as uh as you're called to do in the scriptures and 
have kids and spend your life together. Right. Yep. I don't know. People make it more difficult than it needs to be, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it seems fairly clear as we keep reading in this verse um, that there's sexual nature involved here, mm-hmm. yep. and, and that needs to be protected, and part of being held in high honor is that that kind of marriage purity is honored and kept undefiled. Mm-hmm. And then there's a warning that God's going to judge sexually immoral yeah. and the adulterous. And this is a this is so countercultural. Not only is the Christian idea of marriage countercultural that two people would become one flesh, um, the idea is that they are so united that again, like who they are as people are tied up with each other. Mm. So the idea then that if someone were to become one flesh with someone else, that that would be severed, it would be unspeakable, mm-hmm. an unspeakable disaster. Yeah. Right. That's if you just read through the Bible, that's the impression. Mm-hmm. But the danger one of the dangers obviously is sexual sin. Yeah. So sexual sin can especially in the Roman culture. Right. Um, I mean it, pretty much everything was Well, if this is written to Romans, mm-hmm. right, and that kind of made that case, people don't realize how drastic the the the, the Christian theology of marriage and sexuality is because in that culture a man has a wife as a Roman and her sole duty is to provide a child right like so you know it's often said that Rome doesn't have an army Rome is an army mm. and that's very true so your duty is to provide a citizen who may end up being a soldier right. or is going to serve in some service to the Roman Empire and so the woman in that culture, the wife is really just seen to fulfill that obligation and to kind of keep those Roman bloodlines right. going. And so a man would have multiple uh, body slaves yeah. who were there only for his sexual gratification. Mm. And that would be the norm. That would not be the that would not be abnormal. That would be normal and something the wife really had no, nothing to say. She couldn't do anything about it. That's just her life. Yeah. And then here comes the Christian apostles. Right, saying to love your wife as Christ loves the church, to right. honor her, respect her. Yeah. It's completely radical. Mm-hmm. And then not only to mix in this other element, you're only to have sex with her. Right. That that is revolutionary. Yeah, I liked what Leon Morris said. He said is one of the unrecognized miracles that Christians were able not only to make this demand, but to make it stick. Yeah. Like we don't we don't think about the fact that um they're they're speaking into this culture something that is just unheard of. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it uh it actually starts to have an effect. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really you just think about how radical uh well, I mean it, it's I mean we kind of live in it. Today, yeah, we right? live in it today. We're I mean we're making the same claim. Right. You have, you know, you have temple prostitution, which is like a Las Vegas mm-hmm. of just like sexual depravity, but right. anything you want, anything your appetite desires, you can get, yeah. and you won't be shamed publicly for it. Right. It's just completely accepted, like Roman Empire-wide, mm. that this yeah. is what people you, engage in. You can in. still, I mean, I don't, I don't think that you should, <laughs> but you can go to Pompeii, uh, you know, the city that was destroyed by uh, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, and uh, there's, there's just like pornographic images on the walls mm. uh stuff that i think if we saw it like publicly displayed 
now we'd we'd still be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just that's just the Roman culture, right? Yeah, and so in that culture, you have this this Christian, and, and it may seem at first glance that verse four. Verse four. I mean, we've been talking about uh, brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue, and and show hospitality, and uh, remember those who are in prison. And then he talks about marriage, and it may seem like this is. I mean, he's just he's just bouncing around these random topics. But if you want to apostatize, give in to sexual immorality, and we see that in our own culture. I mean, what what are all these people who are deconstructing the faith? What are they deconstructing because of right? Yeah, that's because of homosexuality. Uh-huh. Like they they just can't abide by the the biblical teaching, right? And traditional understanding of the text uh, about homosexuality, and so they de- they they deconstruct, they apostatize. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you want to apostatize, give in to sexual immorality, right? Yeah, and so the, this is not just a random teaching. He's still warning them in the context of of persecution. Um, in this this culture where everywhere you look there's immorality um and it would be really easy to just slide into that uh-huh. to let marriage be considered yeah a, a treasure and let the marriage bed which is it's just a euphemism for the sexual relationship let it be undefiled right yeah there's a lot of pathways to slide off into uh, apostasy, and you can see, even see in Hebrews how he's addressed those, right? You've got uh, persecution, but what does that bring? That brings discouragement. So discouragement is a major pathway like out of the Christian faith into and apostasy. That's, and that's why he tells them to remember those who are in prison, because mm-hmm. they're going to be discouraged if they're just sitting in this dungeon by themselves and no one ever comes to bring them anything. Yeah, and then you have the problem of evil and suffering, mm-hmm. which if you are being persecuted, you're experiencing, right. and you can wonder, does God even care about you? Yep. And so what do you need there? You need brotherly love, you need the church, mm-hmm. and then you have sexual immorality. And yep. those are still today the three mm. like major highways yeah. to apostasy or deconstruction right yeah right. yeah so it, it all fits perfectly mm-hmm. there yeah. together uh, tom schreiner in his commentary says one way to fall away from the faith is to give oneself over to sexual sin and um, we we see that i mean again this ties us back up to chapter 12 where he says that uh, we need to, to be sure that there's no one um who is sexually immoral or unholy like esau mm. because that's that's the gateway it's the gateway to, to falling away and the the warning that God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterer. And the in the term in this text is it uh, the word porneia? It's it's yeah they're they're uh, they're distinct. So there's porneia, sexually immoral, uh-huh. and then there's adultery. So they're they're not synonymous. They're 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 different. Right. But they they fall under the the category of not holding marriage to be mm-hmm. honored. So, but the, this word for sexually immoral is a blanket term. Yeah. So a lot of people. They will, you know, they'll interject and say all kinds of things. So he doesn't list homosexuality, right? But he, right. he lists porn, porneia, porneia right. which is a blanket term for it's any any sexual activity outside, outside of, of marriage, covenant marriage right. between a man and a woman. Right. Yeah. That's so. The, por- that's the biblical por- por- position. Porneia, pornography, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, sex outside of marriage, fornication, homosexuality. Um, even in here would be like 
pedophilia, uh-huh. um, any any sexual relationship outside of the marriage relationship, and then adultery would be you're in you're in the marriage, and anything that is either brought into the marriage or sex outside of that that relationship, right? And it sounds like George. <clears throat> That we've got more of a whisper here, is that right? It, it's a it's a loud whisper. Yeah, <laughs> I like how you brought that up in your in your. Story. Well, I wasn't going to, and I was just as I was studying this, it just struck. I mean, how long ago did JD Greer say that? It's been a long. Four years. It's been a long time. Probably four it's, years it's ago. Four or five, yeah. Um, but as I was as I was studying it, I just was struck again by how ludicrous that statement was for him to say that was because he knew that there were people in the in his his congregation right who are practicing these things mm-hmm. and he's watering it down mm-hmm. um it's just it's just a completely asinine thing to say um i i didn't i didn't mean to say it yesterday but it just kind of <laughs> just kind of came out of just frustration mm over this idea that the Bible doesn't speak as loudly against sexual sin as it does against what, what greed was it greed? I think it was greed love of money. And uh, it was greed. And he said something else. I can't remember what he said. Sexual immorality tops every list, every vice list in the new Testament. Sexual immorality is like right there at the top. If it's not the first thing, it's like the top three. Uh-huh. And then I, I mean, First Corinthians six, Ephesians five, Colossians three, First Thessalonians four, Revelation twenty one. It's just, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I was just, uh, and then Jesus, it, it just, and, it just, you know, then Jesus has to yeah. amplify it and mm-hmm. say, this really is a condition of the heart, right, right, right. So he'll take it a step further yeah. to say, well, you haven't actually physically engaged in this, but if you have lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Right. He amplifies it even greater. So it's almost like George, it's a megaphone. Not yeah. A, not yeah, a whisper. It's not a whisper. It's it's yeah, it's 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 deafening. Right. Um because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Huh. Honor marriage, keep the marriage bed undefiled because God's going to judge those who are sexually immoral. And that's found that's found in all these passages that I I just uh, I just cited, like the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, the wrath of God is coming upon people who practice these things. Um, the Lord is an avenger in all of these things. These people will be thrown into the lake of fire. Yeah, like that's it's serious. It's serious. Yeah, I think one maybe one way churches can recapture this idea that the marriage bed is to be held in high honor is to maybe honor those people in your church that have been married for a long time. Yeah. All right, yeah. so younger people should I mean, we have this thing in our culture where we're obsessed with youth and we don't really honor our elders. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm not speaking about church elders here. I'm speaking about older people. Right. Older people that have been married a long time mm-hmm. should be held in high honor. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Cuz they've lived a whole uh, life of this, right? And so, how churches can go about that, you know, I, mm. I'm not sure, but I think that's a pathway. Yeah, today is my anniversary. 
happy anniversary. Uh, 19 years. But I think about people that have been married 30, 40, 50 years. Uh-huh. That's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. We should, we should honor people that have, have uh, been faithful. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I I listed several ways that we can honor marriage. Um, the first is for married people to honor their marriage, uh-huh. right? Protect their marriage. Don't let anything come into their marriage that would um, you know, weaken it. Um, for uh, young people to flee from sexual sin, um, and then for our church as a whole. Which, which one way they can? What does Paul say? To flee sexual to sin. To flee sexual immorality. Yeah. Flee. To get married. Yeah. Get married. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a. It's like a, sometimes it's just so obvious. <clears throat> yeah. Like you, you're you're tempted to, you know, sexually. Get married. Yeah. Get married. <laughs> yeah. Don't, pra- don't, practical don't, Paul. Yeah. Don't don't live a you know, a celibate life. Like yeah. get married. Get married. Um, and don't deprive each other. Right? Mm. I uh, I preached through First Corinthians at uh, at Northwest, and uh, that was a fun that was a fun passage to preach through with all these uh, seventy and eighty year old people. Yeah, um, like don't deprive one another. <laughs> well, you know, it's not. I think back, you know, twenty <clears throat> twenty years because kind of when you're in the leadership position in the military, you end up inevitably dealing with people in their marriages. So go back 20 years to everyone that I know that's had a bad marriage is that they they did not, you know, they didn't have sex with their spouse. And so, like, it, it's a gift that God has given, but it's yeah. more than, like, the, the Christian marriage bed is more than what the world knows, like, sex to be, yeah. right? So... It's a gift, and if you fail to exercise that gift with your spouse, then you are opening your both of you up mm. to danger. Not only in this sphere, right? But uh, it's like a there's like a, a breachhead to where all kinds of other problems can happen in mm. your marriage because yeah. you're just not close, right? You're just not close. Then eventually, you just become like people living in the house with each other. You're like roommates. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that is a pattern that you can see. I'm sure you've seen it mm-hmm. over you know, 20 years that you've been oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. doing Definitely. this. And, yep. um, but somehow there's this, you know, I think in the Christian world, it's like a taboo to even talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not the, it's not the, uh, uh, there, there can be other problems. There can be, I mean, this isn't the, the cure-all uh, to every problem, but it is a, a big one. Uh-huh. Like it is a gift that God has given to the marriage relationship, so that um, you you do cling to one another, right? Right. Um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, you know Christians have been called prudes, and I th- I think there's probably some truth to that in the in the past. Uh, but the Bible speaks about sex in a, a you know pretty plain way. Uh, we don't and have to be, we don't positive. Have to, yeah, we don't have to be embarrassed. We don't right. have to be embarrassed about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we don't have to be Mark Driscoll <laughs> and be, you know, crass. Right. Um, uh, you know, he uh, years ago, he, him and his wife 
uh, did like a Q and A. He's teaching through Song of Solomon, and they did like a Q and A. And yeah, Julia and I tried to listen to it, and we got maybe two in, and we're like, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is too. Uh, this is overboard. Right. And then at the same time, Mark, uh, John MacArthur, he was warning against Driscoll. Yeah, and he wrote him a few letters, and I he, think, at and that time. And he, uh, he said, you know, the Song of Solomon is veiled in poetic language for a reason. Right. So what? So don't unveil it. Yeah. There's no reason to. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, did you see that? Uh, did I send you that clip of him screaming at everybody? Which, you know, you know which, the famous which the, kind? Which the one, famous uh, one where he screamed at all the men at the church? The how dare you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And somebody said it to heavy metal. <laughs> did I send it to you? I don't know if you did. I'm gonna find it. Okay, it's gonna make an appearance on the podcast soon. That's funny. Yeah. Um. But, you know, we we should honor marriage, but it the the way that the church can do this is we need to speak out against the sexual immorality of the culture. Like we don't we don't need to be embarrassed to call out these particular sins by name. Mm-hmm. Like the like homosexuality is it's a sin against God. It um, it wrecks the picture of of marriage. Marriage is supposed to be a picture of of Christ in the church, and homosex homosexuality it destroys that that right. pi- that picture. Um, transgenderism. We need to speak out against it instead of instead of. Um, like cushioning our 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 words, um, we need to call it out. We need to call it out as as a sin, and we need to call out the things that we have already kind of um, caved to the culture, like sex outside of marriage, right, and pornography, mm-hmm. and divorce. I mean, do you ever hear any any Christians calling out divorce? We just it's just part of the culture, mm-hmm. and we just kind of. Well, it's just it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, so, I mean, sometimes it is necessary. Um, there, are, there are biblical reasons for divorce, but I think that we just kind of we just kind of accept it as as just part of the the culture. Mm-hmm. Like, as a church, we need to stand on what the Bible teaches and honor marriage. And um, it, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it in the church just in the last decade of how quickly the church can cave into these things. It's, it's wild. It really it's is. wild. And it should be a wake up call for us. Like we can't, we can't just think the culture is going to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, our, we need to teach our kids the, uh, the biblical ethics of sex and we need to boldly call it out. Um, and call the culture to repent, mm-hmm. and we need to stand for these things that are are true, because we're not always going to be here. Right, and it it doesn't even take a it doesn't even take a generation for the church to to fall away. Right, yeah, it, it can take place within a decade. Mm-hmm. Right, and you've got churches that are their allies and their you know they they take pride i mean we've got the we've got the sparkle creed you know being, being talked about and uh, i mean you've got you've got clergy that are wearing the rainbow rainbow colors and it's this is all this is all taking place uh very very quickly yeah yeah it's isn't it interesting that like sexual immorality <coughs> is the only protected it's like pr- only protected sin mm. 
all yeah. the other sins like every, that Jesus would teach against or the apostles teach against, people still want to be on board with those. Mm-hmm. Greed, yeah, anger, drunkenness. Um, you list you list them. Those are still taboos, right? But not that. It's like a protected uh-huh. class of sin. Yeah, right. That must be accepted. Yeah, or you're not loving. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we're at. So love marriage. Love marriage in a hostile culture, and that makes Christianity unique. As it did then, it still can do today. Uh, But also you have uh, to love contentment. And this one really ties back into the other one. Mm -hmm. Uh, So covetousness is not only the root of a whole variety of sins, but it's also at the root of sexual sin, Uh because you're not content... The um the the grammar matches also the the um the imperative is also missing. It has to be supplied mm-hmm. in this verse also. So right. they're they're tied together. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, sexual immorality and and uh, coveting are often paired mm-hmm. uh, elsewhere. And um, we can see that in Ephesians chapter so keep, five. He says it this way: Keep your life free from the love of money, mm. and be content with what you have. Yeah. Yeah, there's a neg- there's a negative and then there's a positive. So mm-hmm. keep your life free of love of money and be content. And th- that really is the hard issue. Contentment. Um, if you are discontent with your marriage or your singleness, uh, you're going to be tempted to sexual immorality. Like you're not content with the wife that God has given to you, and so you're going to look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not content with your your singleness. And so you're going to try to seek, uh, you know, a relationship outside of God's God's uh, you know, will. Uh, you aren't content with uh, how much money you have. You're going to be greedy for more. Right. But more is never going to be enough. Yeah, we see this all throughout our culture, right? You know, uh, it doesn't matter how much you get, how how much how much you get. Uh, Financially, materially, houses, um, exotic vacations, like the rich and famous are miserable people. Like we have, we have, you know, access to the rich and famous because of media, mm. and they are just as miserable as everybody else. Right. You know? <laughs> so that should, yeah. I mean, we, even though we have that as mm. a living testimony to us, right. people still fall into this trap mm-hmm. that, but the problem is, is that they're never content. Right. And, it, and it's because they're not content in, in Christ, mm-hmm. right? And so you can't fill that void with other things because mm-hmm. the hole's never fill, filled up. Right. You just get where you thought you would be content and realize I'm just as unhappy and miserable as I was before. Yep. Yeah. But even though we see that, it's an easy trap for people to fall into. Mm. Uh, this would have been, again, uh, very pertinent for these Christians— we go back to chapter 10, and uh, we're reminded that they have in the past experienced the plundering of their property. Uh, now that persecution is is starting up again, they they might be thinking, am I going to lose everything? Am I gonna, you know, am, am I going to lose my stuff? Am I going to lose my house? Yeah. Um, and so it's easy to see how they would be tempted to uh, to fall away in order to keep their stuff, to keep their property, to keep mm. their money, right? 
yeah um you know offer a offer a pinch of incense to caesar and we'll leave you alone mm-hmm. <clears throat> don't and everything you have could be forfeit um and, and we see this we see this um this this danger warned against all over the place uh, jesus he he uh, gives the parable of the of the four soils and you have the the one seed that falls on thorny ground and it grows up and the thorns choke out the life what's the interpretation it's because of the cares of the world right right and the riches mm-hmm. um the deceitfulness of riches uh demas falls away from paul because he's in love with this present world mm-hmm. uh, paul in, in first timothy chapter six he warns against the love of money because um by by loving money many people have plunged into ruin and destruction they've fallen away because they love money mm-hmm. so this is the same warning you're keep your life free of the love of money because if you love money if you make money your god if you make money your hope um you're you're gonna fall away mm-hmm. you're gonna fall away yeah yeah. Okay, the last one is love of Jesus. You stated this summarizes the first five. So explain how, and, and wrap this up for us as we close. How does this tie it all together? All right, so there is uh, there is debate. Um, verse six could just be tied in with verse five, or it could be referencing back to the whole the whole thing. Um, but uh, as one commentator put it, um, even if you say that grammatically it's just tied to verse 5, thematically it's tied to all of these verses. Um, so in the midst of a, host- a hostile culture that's persecuting Christians, love the brotherhood, love the brethren, uh, love strangers and show hospitality, um, love those who are persecuted, Love marriage, uh, keep your life free from love of money. Be content. Um, uh, so we can confidently say, "The Lord is my helper; I shall not fear what can man do to me." Like we're we're set free from fear. We we don't have to we don't have to fear what's going to happen if the if the government finds out that we're Christians. We don't have to fear what what's going to happen when our sexual ethic is ridiculed by the culture. We we don't have to fear what's going to happen if uh, if our property is plundered, um, because the Lord is our helper. We don't have to fear that. That's a quote from Psalm one eighteen, mm-hmm. and if you go back and and read Psalm one eighteen, it's it's this uh, this this great psalm that is just speaking of confidence in God, and. Um, so we don't have to we don't have to be afraid to live this way because God is with us. It, and again, this ties us into the entire book. If if everything that that has been said about Christ is true in the first twelve chapters, then we can we can say this with confidence in verse six. And what's interesting about verse six is that the the argument of the entire book of Hebrews has been that God is speaking to you. Um, so He's speaking through His Son. It, I mean, we go back to chapter one, verse one. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to us through the prophets. 
but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. And then he just starts giving all of these these references in the Old Testament. Like God is speaking to you through his son. And then the end of, of 12, the, the warning is, um, uh, don't refuse him who is speaking to you. And then verse 6 of chapter 13 is the first time where we are responding. Mm. And so if everything that's been said in verses or in chapters 1 through 12 is true about Jesus, about how he's superior to the angels and Moses and Joshua and the high priest, and he's the mediator of a new covenant, he's made this once-for-all sacrifice, what can we say in response? We can say, I'm not afraid of what man's going to do to me because God is with me. The Lord is my helper. I won't be afraid. What can man do to me? Uh, and that's where that's where we should land. That's that's uh, yeah. like the the we we can't divorce chapter thirteen from the rest of the book just because these are now like these general application. Uh-huh. Like this is the answer to all of the theology. This is this is our response. God has done this. How are you going to respond to to what God has done for you in Christ? Mm. Well, you're going to offer acceptable sacrifices to him. You're going to offer acceptable service to him um, by loving and not being afraid. Don't be afraid of of what the culture is is yeah. going to do because God is with you. Awesome. So. Yeah. Good stuff, George. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Hopefully this has been helpful and beneficial to you, and you've learned more about Hebrews and how the book fits together. And more importantly, you know, what God expects of us, uh, those of us who say we are Christians, how are we to live in a culture? We can see that these truths which were applied 2,000 years ago are just as relevant for our lives today, and we need to apply them to our lives so that we can be faithful to live as Christians in a hostile culture. This has been helpful to you. Please give us a like, subscribe, share. You can write us a review. Uh, We'd appreciate that. As always, we hope that this has helped you to be more conformed to Christ. We'll see you next time.